Broadcasting from Southern California, this is Camp Search Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Thurl. This is episode 49, Punched, Trans, and Bartender. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I'm broadcasting from Southern California. I got here on Thursday night, and I will be here for a couple weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe a month, uh, depending on how things go. And things so far are going fine. I uh, preached today at uh, Irvine Valley College which is a, a little school. My intention was to preach at the university uh, or UC Irvine, but they were having some sort of Armenian genocide protest sort of thing. And uh, the last thing I want to do is interrupt a Armenian genocide protest with my preaching. So I ran over to the nearest school and the day ended up going well. I had uh, a small little group that gathered. Um, it's a tiny school, maybe like 4,000 students, I think the thing said. And so a little group that gathered, and most of the discussion was with a uh, Polish man, a Pole. I don't think you call them Polacks anymore. You call them Poles, as well as a trans student, a uh, female to male is um, what Sebastian uh, was seeking to do. So um, she told me that her name was Sebastian. So usually when I interact uh, with them, I try to get their name and then use their name, and if possible, avoid any pronoun uh, aspect, although she handled it very well when I referred to her as she. And, you know, I may have discussed this on this program before, but uh, the basic idea is I believe the most respectful thing to do is to use um, proper gender pronouns, uh, he and she, he for male, she for female. Um, But I also understand where they're coming from, and I want to be able to communicate to them. And so in communicating to them, I usually explain that to them, that I realize that they think I'm being disrespectful by using, uh, quote-unquote, the wrong pronoun. Um, but I seek to explain to them that I think it's actually uh, the most respectful thing for me to do is to use a proper one, but I will use their name um, as much as I can in order to communicate with them rather than uh, getting too far afield onto that particular issue. And one of the things that always stands out in those discussions, and one thing that was pretty impressive over the course of maybe two two and a half hours um, was how open Sebastian was to, uh, one, the reality that uh, uh, she was not politically correct at all. Like when I used she, she's like, no, no, I mean, uh, you got to realize I'm I'm an anomaly in your culture. And given that I'm an anomaly, um, I can't get upset when people use uh, the wrong, quote unquote, the wrong pronouns. And so it was a pretty interesting conversation. And, and um, when other people were there, uh, didn't go too in depth with things. Um, but once the last person left and there was just the two of us, um, she really opened up quite a bit about her life. And inevitably, whenever these discussions come up, there's a lot of abuse. And she basically explained from about the time of uh, three years old being sexually abused and also living with her mother, who basically wouldn't really let her out until she was 21. And she kind of ran away at 21. So whatever all those issues are involved, you could only imagine and she was really open, and she was asking how she deals with it, and she was trying to deal with uh, all these issues in her life through reading books, and I was trying to encourage her to go uh, to church uh, there in Irvine because she needs a community of people who will love her and blah, 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 and I realized, you know, all the complexities that are involved with that from somebody who's been abused. But um, ultimately, I, you know, I try to explain to her that's what I think um, she needs. And so that was a really good conversation, and as well as with a young uh, Polish man 
who has been in the United States for about three years and uh, more or less identifies as kind of an agnostic. Uh, his, his English wasn't the best, but uh, as soon as I started, he just walked right over and just began to listen. And uh, it was kind of funny because some of the times it was pretty difficult to carry on a conversation with him because Sebastian would want to weigh in. And, you know, inevitably Sebastian kind of being locked up till uh, she was 21 years old kind of has, uh, you know, <laughs> not the most socially well-adjusted person in history. So had no qualms constantly interrupting everything, everything that everybody was saying. Um, but nonetheless, uh, really good conversation. It kind of boiled down to a, a strand of logic. So it was kind of interesting because he, uh, I thought I actually thought he was like a, a Muslim. Um, he just kind of he looked very Middle Eastern. He initially, uh, one of his comments about Christianity is that we believe in uh, two gods, I think is what he said. And that's usually um, something that Muslims uh, say is, uh, well, you believe in three gods. And I was like, ah, oh, no, we're not. And so we ended up uh, going back and forth a little bit on that. And he uh, kind of went after the idea of logic. And I've been reading a book by a guy named Thomas Nagel um, called The Last Word and also his book, Mind and Cosmos. Um, but I had uh, Last Word with me. So I, I handed him that and had him read a couple paragraphs, which obviously when English is your second language and you're dealing with philosophies, not the easiest discussion in the world. But what I sought to do was explain that logic is in fact, you know, uh, it's, it's Christianity. Because there's logic, it drives me to Christianity. Logic does not drive me away from Christianity. And I sought to explain it doesn't mean I know all things or able to uh, rationalize, rationalize all things. Um, but the very nature uh, that we are in a world where logic um, is not only, uh, you know, only way to have reasonable conversations, uh, but then it seems to, quote, like, practically work. We can get a man on the moon. We can punch something into the GPS and uh, get where we want to go. Uh, the world, uh, to some level, is reasonable and logical. And I sought to explain that to him, and he seemed fairly receptive to the message. So it was a, a really, really good day and a really good uh, first couple weeks um, few weeks on campus. Uh, although last week, um, I ended up getting drilled, uh, got decked. And so, um, I was preaching on a campus, uh, last Tuesday and it went great. And then rains came roaring in around three o'clock and kind of killed the day and everybody, uh, scattered. And I was able to sit around and mainly talk to Christians, uh, for a little bit, went under an awning and was able to talk to them, explain to them, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing, what I'm saying and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, there's a campus ministry, and I think it's all right to mention it, and Ratio Christi, um, they in no way, shape, or form officially endorse me, but on every campus I've been in that I've interacted with somebody from that group, they've been very supportive. So a young woman there was part of their ministry and very supportive of what I was doing, and uh, yeah, she was great. She was very supportive, as well as a um, couple other Christian groups, and obviously on my way off campus, you had the one person being like, can I ask you some questions? And um, they weren't ecstatic about uh, everything, more, more just because they've never seen it and didn't understand it. And also on this campus, there was a guy who's really, really wicked, and I don't think he's been there for a little while, but um, he would say things like that women deserve to be raped and um, just very abusive and wicked in his language. And so I realize I'm kind of guilty by association coming into that context. Um, so that was uh, Tuesday, and I was going to move on, but because it went so well, and I talked to my buddy Sean, and Sean goes, man, it's a really hard campus to get a crowd. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right, I'll go back. So I go back the next day, start preaching, and immediately a pretty good crowd gathers. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny because very early on, I start preaching, and uh, kind of one of my uh, 
crowd gathering things is I, I kind of go after the idea of evolution and the idea of equality that uh, there's no re here we are on a college campus where equality is one of the main values and virtues uh, that someone can put forward uh, but this idea of equality is not consistent with the idea of evolution so there's no reason to believe that evolution has given us equality between the races or equality between the sexes and things like that and they begin to lose their minds uh, and go back and forth and so a young man comes out with a his camera he's like what's your name what's your name and try to dox me and I and I was like, oh, well, I'm not giving you my name, but I was like, I'm willing to argue with you if you if you take exception to it. And you, then within you know a minute, he's admitting, yeah, yeah, there is no biological equality between any two individuals. So I was like, well, that's all I'm saying. So if you want me to be a racist, uh, because that, that's fine, but you're also a racist because you don't believe in biological equality. And I was like, so if you do believe in equality between any two people, what is that equality? And he literally just kind of turned around. I assume turned off his phone and kind of walked away. We didn't have any more interaction. And um, so things start to start to get rolling. Pretty good crowd gathers, and a young woman there is accusing me. And and he actually here's here's a thing that the, a friend asked me. I was having dinner with a friend. He's like, now can you, can you ever say things differently than what you do? And I would say here's one of the main things I could maybe do differently that kind of gets the crowd a little um, bothered is this: um, when you when I go on the offensive preaching and what i mean by that is this so a young woman accuses me of having white male privilege and she ends up identifying as a jew and it was in the context of economics and so i end up making the statement that you know you can say that i have white male privilege in the context of economics but uh the jews and i actually uh the, the numbers I end up looking up they make like on average the median income is like 158,000 uh for for one group of jews i can't remember which one it was and then maybe like 163,000 for another and the average and you know whites is i think sixty thousand dollars basically so on average um the stats i was looking at jews make three times the amount uh the median income uh compared to their white counterpart so i, I thought it was twice uh, double and so i made a comment about double out there and uh and it was interesting because she was willing to say that i have white male economic privilege uh but the minute i pointed out that jews on average uh uh, their median income is higher. Uh, I was suddenly an anti-Semite. <laughs> so, so the 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 you're not anti-white if you point out that uh, whites have privilege, uh, but you are an anti-Semite if you point out that Jews uh, have economic privilege. So, so you're suddenly an anti-Semite. And uh, it was kind of funny because I ended up pointing out, well, you know, there are other people, other Semitic groups other than just the Jews. If you want to claim it's an anti-Jewish comment, that's fine. But there are other Semitic groups, and so I'm not anti-Semitic. Uh, but at the same time. Uh, pointing out the fact uh, that they, on average, have a higher median income, as well as that Asians, on average, have a, have a higher median income uh, than whites. Uh, neither of those comments are racist. Uh, it's just being descriptive of what the facts are. And uh, so she ends up stomping off. She leaves, runs off, and maybe like 30, 40 minutes, uh, she comes back, and uh, I guess she maybe just went to class, came back, sits down, and starts going up with the anti-Semitic thing again. And so I kind of ignored her and to preach and there's probably maybe 100 kids gathered 100 150 kids and um i'm off on the side at this point i'm actually interacting with a um a christian who's just kind of identified as a non-denominational and is asking me some questions i said look i'm you know presbyterian i'm not out here to make anybody presbyterian although i'd encourage everybody to go to a presbyterian church and uh during this time there's a young woman who's seeking to get in between me and everybody i'm interacting with because she was a Real scutch is the type of word my mom would have used growing up. I have no idea if that's a really bad word. But uh, she was just trying to interrupt because I was ignoring her because she was like, you're not saying anything, you're not saying anything. I was like, all right, well, if I'm not saying anything, I'm not going to try to argue with you. And so once I started ignoring her, she tried to get between me and everybody else. So here I am, and think of a horseshoe. And on the right side of the horseshoe 
um, I'm interacting with one person, and in between me and that person, there's somebody else. And then imagine that the middle of the horseshoe, maybe about 10 to 15 people come out of the middle of the horseshoe and just start surrounding me. And not only do they start surrounding me, uh, you got men and women. Both of them are grabbing me, spitting on me. And one of them, one of them is a homosexual male. He starts to uh, grab my beard and try to kiss me. And so I kind of knock his hand off, pull my head away. And he does that like two or three times. And I start to walk away from the group. And I get to a place that's a little bit of an open after working my way through the group. And I turn back around and that homosexual is right there again. And he grabs my beard and tries to, uh, and I think I've, I've said something prior to that. I said, look, if you touch me again, there's going to be a problem. And so he grabs my beard again and tries to kiss me. So I push him off. And I was like, oh, and fortunately the police were there. And so the police come stepping in and I get behind the police. But as when I get behind the police, uh, like a 6'2 black guy just wham, just leveled me from behind. Unfortunately, it knocked me out. Um, put, put, a, put a big old Flintstone lump on the back of my head and uh, I kind of buckled. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of like the only way to describe it is if you've ever been thrown by a wave, you don't know if you're up or down. Like I, I, my head kind of vibrated and I was like, man, it was kind of, yeah, I just kind of felt like I was, I was being turned in a wave when I got hit. It was right behind the, my right ear. And then the cops turn around, arrest him. They pulled me off to the side uh, and begin to separate everybody. And I was there for the next hour and a half or two hours. And and it was basically great because, you know, like 12 cops showed up. And there's probably, say, five cops I was able to share the gospel with. Why am I here? Here's what I'm seeking to do. Here's what I'm explaining. It's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but they started to get upset because I would just really try to push back on their worldview and their philosophy. And um, uh, they don't like that. They like to push down on mine, but they don't like it when I push back. And one of them uh, was a Roman Catholic, but he seemed to, uh, you know, seemed to kind of sort of believe the gospel. And it was kind of interesting at one point, he goes, you kind of sound like C.S. Lewis. So uh, actually, I've never read anything by C.S. Lewis, but I've heard good things about him. So I will gladly take a, uh, you sound like C.S. Lewis, uh, depending on what all that means. That may not be a good thing, but he said I sound like C.S. Lewis. And so that was, uh, that, that's been, that's the semester getting underway. And so that was last week and this week. Uh, tons of good conversations. Uh, I would encourage you uh, in so much as you can try to find opportunities to share the gospel with people because you'll, you're, it's always amazing, uh, what you'll end up seeing and the people you get to interact with and how open people actually are, as well as how radically closed people are to the gospel, especially on a college campus where you kind of have a mob mentality taking over, not a mamba mentality, but a mob mentality, uh, that takes over, uh, the students. And so that's a little bit of an update of what's going on on campus. And now what I want to do, uh, briefly for the rest of the, uh, little program here is uh, get back into Bart Ehrman's errant epistemology. Last week we brushed on uh, basic concepts of epistemology. Epistemology is just a theory of knowing. And for the most part, you have two groups of epistemology. You have the empiricist, which is what dominates the American landscape, that, you know, the basic idea of seeing is believing. And I can only believe those things which I can see, taste, touch, and feel. If I can't see it, I can't believe it. Um, so that's kind of uh, empiricism. Then you have another school sh thought that is rationalism. And the basic idea of rationalism is that there's a faculty in man that enables him to grasp necessary connections or necessary truths prior to experience. And so if you think about, I can only believe those things which I can see, taste, touch, and feel, it's pretty clear that you have to experience something um, in order to know it. And so to know anything about what's really going on in China or the moon, uh, obviously you can't really know until you experienced it. Uh, I guess you, you could kind of accept somebody's testimony, um, but that might be kind of an issue of belief or trust. 
rather than what they would say is actual knowledge. Um, whereas rationalism deals with uh, necessary connections. Two plus two is going to equal four. If you grasp what two is, what two is, uh, you know it's going to equal four prior to experiencing, you know, snorks. Or if you've never seen a basketball before, um, if, if you grasp the basic idea of a ball and you think you get two of them, you're going to add two of them, you're going to get four. And so rash, that's kind of rationalism. And so Bart Ehrman has an epistemology that he's getting at. And so I just want to uh, interact with his article a little bit uh, to get some kind of, because I think he, what he's doing is very, very common and what he's thinking is very, very common in our culture and the world around us. And one of the things I appreciate about what Bart Ehrman is doing here, there's a, there is a certain level of honesty with him. I don't know, you know, we could debate whether or not he's being, being totally consistent or not. Uh, but there's a certain level of honesty, and I, I want to read this paragraph. I'm going to tie in a guy named Alex Rosenberg as well as Thomas Nagel because each of these men will – Bart Ehrman identifies as agnostic atheist. Um, Alexander uh, Alex Rosenberg is an atheist, and Thomas Nagel, to my knowledge, is also an atheist. He, in one book, he explicitly states he does not want God to exist. Um, so I'm going to read this from Bart Ehrman, and then I'm getting to uh, a, a couple quotes from – uh, Rosenberg, and then also Nagel. So here's what uh, Ehrman says. I have a meditation practice, and in it, over the past year or so, I spent a lot of time meditating on consciousness, especially the marvel that I am self-conscious being. You are too, but I'm, not, I'm usually not thinking about you when I'm meditating. Sorry. Consciousness is one of the most mysterious and imponderable aspects of the multiverse, period. Philosophers, neuroscientists, psychologists, theologians, and all sorts of very, very smart people have written extremely erudite books about it, most of them disagreeing with one another. How does something made out of, in quotes, matter have the ability not only to think, reason, decide, achieve its own will, and so on, but be aware of doing so? All right, so that's a key paragraph, and that's where um, Alexander uh, Alex, I don't know why I want to keep calling Alexander. Alex Rosenberg comes in. He says this: um, the discoveries reported in this chapter um, can't fully prepare you for how wrong introspection is. Nothing really can. Ultimately, science and scientism are going to make us give up the illusory, uh, give up as illusory the very thing conscious experience screams out at us loudest and longest: the notion that when we think. Our thoughts are about anything at all, inside or outside of our minds. I know this sounds absurd, but we'll see why this must be the case in the next chapter. The physical facts fix all the facts. It's because they do not. Uh, it's because they do that. Thinking about stuff is impossible. It's because they do that. Thinking about stuff is impossible. What is more, neuroscience has already made it plain how the brain thinks without its thoughts being about anything at all. Thinking about things is an overwhelmingly powerful illusion. Once we learn about this powerful illusion is produced, we'll understand why it's hard to cast the illusion of consciousness aside for the real answers to the relentless questions about self, mind, soul, free will, and the meaning of life. But we will uh, also see why we must do so. And so, I mean, that, that paragraph, unlike Bart Ehrman, this is chock full of contradictions. So there is no consciousness. You're not thinking about anything when you're thinking, and yet he's trying to do all this thinking about free will, and we're going to go, you know, neuroscience and everything else. And so even when you're thinking about neuroscience, you're not actually thinking about anything. Um, later on in the book, he also gives us this doozy of a quote. 
on page 186, Rosenberg tells us that physics and neuroscience both tell us. I'm, I'm still curious what physics and neuroscience is in the context of what he's getting at because we aren't really thinking about anything else. But I, uh, every time I read physics or neuroscience, I, I feel at the very least I have thoughts about something. But he says physics and neuroscience both tell us for different reasons that one clump of matter can't be about another clump of matter. Now consider that with what um, uh, Bart Ehrman is saying where he, he ends up telling us that consciousness is one of the most mysterious and imponderable aspects of the multiverse period. Philosophers, neuroscientists, blah, 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 very smart people have written extremely erudite books. Most of them disagree with one or how does something made out of matter, the very thing that Rosenberg's wrestling with, have the ability not only to think, reason, decide, achieve its own will, and so on, but be aware of doing so? So Ehrman, I would say, is moving away from a strict materialist. I, I think Rosenberg is a consistent, quote-unquote, scientist and materialist. Um, right now, Bart Ehrman is not, and perhaps even just in his thinking and getting to a, quote-unquote, God, um, he's beginning to realize that. But I think consciousness and even Nagel, uh, Thomas Nagel puts it this, is one of the key aspects of things um, that, you know, go read page uh, 186 and 166, I believe is what I was quoting from uh, Alex Rosenberg, If you, you even if you go to uh, Google Books, look that up and kind of have that in your back pocket. And as you're dealing with atheists, ask them, here's what Alex Rosenberg, here's what Atheist Guide to Reality says, life without illusions, he said this, Bart Ehrman says this, you're, and, you know, kind of pointing in the direction that consciousness points us in a particular direction. That's a little bit of what Van Til's argument is, uh, kind of like, if knowledge, then God. There is knowledge, therefore God. And so the idea of knowledge and consciousness is central to a discussion of whether or not we know whether or not God exists. And so this whole aspect of epistemology uh, is tied in. But Thomas Nagel uh, tells us this very early on, and his this is actually from uh, The Last Word. He is wrestling with this, and I, I think this is a really good, insightful um, comment. He tells me this. I am prompted to this inquiry about the use of reason, uh, partly by the ambient climate of irrationalism, but also by not really knowing what more to say after irrationalism has been rejected as incoherent. For there is a real problem of how such a thing as reason is possible. How is it possible that creatures like ourselves, supplied with the contingent capacities of a biological species, whose very existence appears to be radically accidental, should have access to universally valid methods of objective thought is because this question seems unanswerable that sophisticated forms of subjectivism keep appearing in the philosophical literature but i think they are no more viable than crude subjectivism so if you take a little bit of bart ehrman you take a little bit of rosenberg and you take a little bit of thomas nagel uh i, I think in your discussions with an atheist um and appealing to somebody's conscience uh, that they have knowledge con science with knowledge that they have some sort of knowledge of the world uh, you have a pretty potent argument, and then it kind of ends up also tying back into reason. So even in a discussion with Bart Ehrman and my discussion with the poll uh, earlier today, um, it ends up tying into we believe that the Logos backs the universe. And now this doesn't mean it's easy for us to bring it all together and then just say it's just a leap of faith and you're not really explaining anything. It's a God of the gaps. Um, but ultimately what we're arguing for is that an absolute personality backs the universe. Um, that is God, and we are in some sense, finite replications of him, and we've been made to know and to understand the universe, and that's why we're able to do these things. Um, so that's this episode of the Campus Future Podcast. One thing I forgot to mention at the beginning is in October, we do have the first ever annual Fight, Laugh, Feast um, extravaganza uh, conference in Nashville. Uh, I believe it's the first weekend of October. Uh, we also have an app that you can now download 
and we just have more stuff in the hopper and in the works. And so feel free to check us out, flfnetwork.com, uh, crosspolitik.com, uh, to go there and learn a little bit more. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach me, Keith, at campuspreacher.com, Campus Evangel on the Twitter, Campus Preacher on Instagram, or on Facebook. Just look up my name. So, Lord bless you. Keep you. Talk to you next week. Behold, a sore went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it.